Big Fluff. You're gonna dress like that, and we're gonna review your goals. Our goals. Now, <clears throat> we need this retreat in Florida. A second store in Shady Springs. And we need to move to the Wildwood Collection by next summer. We're gonna achieve our goals, Don. Because we have standards and strategy. Now focus. Uh, it's hard to stay focused when I've got this healthy erection. Mm. We will have sex on the 9th as scheduled. Until then, you can take care of yourself. What if I just slide it between your butt cheeks? No penetration. Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And it's October and we're doing movies related to hell. And sometimes hell is other people. And that's why we watched Home Sweet Hell. Yeah, we did. And yeah, it is. Yep. <laughs> um, man, what a great choice to keep the sigh in at the end of the opening clip. I felt like it needed it, you know, because, yeah, we... <laughs> Yeah, you need uh, the reaction. I think we'd all have no offense to Patrick Wilson offering to slide it between our butt cheeks. When I think of all the times that Patrick Wilson's offered to slide it between my butt cheeks. <laughs> yeah. And I've just been like, <sighs> all right. <laughs> I will. I recommend him on Cameo, though. It's great. If you if you get Patrick on Cameo, he'll be like, hey, uh, Nana, I heard it's your 87th birthday. It's me, Patrick Wilson, from Home Sweet Hell. Anyway, I hope I can slide it between your butt cheeks. It's good. Yeah. It's and weird it, that that's the only thing he'll reference. <laughs> it's like, Yeah, you would think, like, he's done so many movies that are he's, more well-known than this. He's done Watchmen. He's done <laughs> Aquaman. He's done the Conjuring the, series, for yeah. which he's very famous. But well, nope, just this obscure well, indie dark comedy. The closest he ever came to doing like a reference to another movies i saw one because i watched them all i just follow his cameo page Same. and there I mean, was who doesn't let's be honest yeah, yeah yeah and there was one where uh they really someone really wanted patrick wilson and they loved him from uh watchmen and he he said he was like his i'm patrick wilson uh heard that you just got a big promotion very excited for you to to start your new job and i uh, just wanted to ask you who watches the watchmen slide it between your butt cheeks yeah, the weird is uh, I ordered one for my aunt and um, big Watchmen fan, my aunt. Uh, yeah. And and so he did the whole thing in full Night Owl regalia. Oh, yeah. But didn't as he does for most of them. But other than that, only mentions sliding it between your butt cheeks. Yeah, that's weird. We probably should have clarified that because uh, this is an audio format and obviously it's a visual thing. But he is always wearing that costume for some reason. I If he's not. In costume for the movie he's performing in, he is very often in the Night Owl costume. Yeah. I think he just wears it. Yeah. That didn't look... It's like all that pleathery, like, foam rubber stuff. It didn't look comfortable. No. He, and he's it sweating. very hot. 
he's sweating a lot in the video. Yeah, he's very sweaty in all of these. And it's, you know, but it's it's worth a follow. It's the best four hundred and fifty dollars I've ever spent on a cameo. Yeah. And that only bought him one. Yeah. No, that's it. That's how much he charges per cameo. And I think it's worth it. Every penny. Uh, and I've even just sent replies like you don't need to wear the Watchmen suit. Yeah, like we I, I want home sweet hell, Patrick Wilson. I don't want hard candy, Patrick Wilson. I don't want the conjuring to Patrick Wilson. I don't want Orn from Aquaman. I don't want any of those. I want home sweet hell. The best Patrick Wilson. <laughs> yeah, obviously in his pastels. Yeah, the most famous Patrick Wilson. Yeah, yeah, just wearing the the salmon colored shirts with the lime green ties. Yeah, um, getting ahead of ourselves, but Don Champagne, great character name. Yeah, it is. And what does he say in the in the commercial that they show? I think he says like "drink me" or something. S- something bad. Yeah. Also, the reference, uh, and again, we are definitely getting ahead of ourselves, but the fact that Jordana Brewster's, like, when she says she's pregnant, he's like, oh, all the time you're like, pop your champagne in me. <laughs> like, they got a lot of mileage out of the name Don Champagne, for sure. Yeah. Love a good wacky name. And, and the fact that he gives a bottle of champagne to his sales people when they make, I don't know if it's their first sale or a big sale, I don't know the exact rules, but he definitely gave her... A bottle of champagne. Yeah. So let's backtrack a little bit and talk about this movie. Let's stay laser focused this week. As always. Always zeroed in because we've only talked about works of people in this movie. So we're, we're doing good. I think we're, we're. I mean, I would say that that Patrick Wilson's very real cameo that is actually if you go to cameo and type his name and you will find that we were 100 percent honest about that is because it is very home sweet hell centered. Yeah. Yeah, and worth again every penny of that four hundred and fifty dollars is I worth should, it. I should be clear when I ordered it. I think he was having a sale that was half off, so I got mm. a deal, and I would call it a deal. Yeah, that's a huge deal. I think it's normally nine hundred dollars, and you know, even then, a little steep for a cameo. But yeah, you're getting into Ric Flair prices. Yeah, for that cameo. It, but it, it's you know. It, if you want Don Champagne level cameos, you got to pay Don Champagne level prices. I mean, the they are. Yeah, line. exactly. I mean, the champagne's in the name. So it's like you're going to pay. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyways. And also, so, to be clear, just one more thing. And this is sure. still on topic, which is that uh, just to be clear, it's he his character and his family. If you were to trace their origins on Ancestry.com are from the Champagne region of France. Otherwise, he would be. Uh, Don Sparkling. Sparkling White. Sparkling White. So. Yeah. And the, ironic, uh, the irony of that is that his character plays about as sparkling white as it could be. He is the sparklingly whitest family in the world in this movie. They are. They could have been the sparkling whites. <laughs> yeah. He could have been Don Sparkling White. Yeah. Don Prosecco. <laughs> also a great name. It's not bad. Yeah, I like it. Um, But anyways... So uh, in this movie, Patrick Wilson uh, of $900 cameo fame, which he occasionally does sales for $450. Patrick, can I slide it between your butt cheeks, Wilson? Right. Which is what he is. That's what you need to search in cameo. Yeah. It's really weird. If you type Patrick Wilson, it will not come up. And he that's by his It'll request. It'll say, do you mean Patrick slide it between your butt cheeks, Wilson? <laughs> and you'll say yes. Yeah. And then you'll get that cameo. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Nothing says I won the fifth grade spelling bee like Patrick. <laughs> nope, can't do it. No, can't, no, nope. <laughs> nope, no. I won the adult spelling bee. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. We found our line, folks. <laughs> we did it. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Anyways, Patrick Wilson mm-hmm. stars in this movie. Yep, as Don Champagne. Yeah, he does. Who's married to uh, his wife Mona, played by Catherine Heigl. Mona Champagne. Mona Champagne. Yeah. And uh, they live a picture-perfect suburban life with picture-perfect suburban kids. He's a picture-perfect suburban furniture store owner. Yes. And uh, Mona's and uh, a bit of a bit of a, a shrew in a lot of ways. She's a pill, Mona. She's a pill. And and what maybe might have gotten lost in that clip that we opened with is that a big part of mona's deal is that she's very into like visualizations and goals and she's literally flipping through a like dream journal scrapbook uh that has all these things that she's talking about that she wants she has cutouts of them and pictures and all of that that she she they have a good life you would argue probably a better life than i don't know most americans these days yeah they're 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 squarely upper middle class yeah they are probably in that one percent yes uh but she has dreams again for a a second store and bigger house and vacations on the ninth sex on the ninth yeah good day for sex the ninth i mean yeah i guess it depends on what day of the week it is that's what i wonder do you think it's is it day of the week dependent or we don't really know but they are scheduled for six romantic trysts a year yeah, and she threw a hand job in there at one point. As yeah, she a bonus. offered him a handy, an old fashioned. Yeah, yeah. And you know, he's like, "Oh, right here in the office." She's like, "No, no, no, no. That's not. That's not Many how Mona Champagne rolls. You still no. have to schedule it." Yeah, it's like I have it penciled in at seven thirty-five. Mm-hmm. Just a quick doop, and then, <laughs> then downstairs for supper. Yeah, as you do. Yep. Uh, but anyways, so uh, they need to hire a new employee at the store. And so they hire Dom Toretto's sister. Dusty. Dusty. Yeah. And uh, who comes like in to, to, to have a fabulous filibuster. Yes. Um, <laughs> I because, like to think. Because he is living the American dream. I think. 100%. Yeah. If you will. <laughs> what we've got here, Andy McIntyre. <laughs> If you will, <laughs> funky like a monkey. <laughs> yeah, so dusty. It's dusty. Um, yeah. I like to think that uh, this takes place in the Fast Universe, and she is playing that same character, and she's just like on she's on on a hideout. So the sequel, uh, Dom Toretto is going to come for revenge because family. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, but anyways, uh, so she gets hired. Um. One Don Champagne is quite cagey about uh, plays the pronoun game a little bit with the new hire mentions Dusty, which, of course, could be a man in a yellow woman. and black polka dot. Yeah, it could be a common man. Yeah, <laughs> could be, you know, yeah, could be. Yeah, uh, could be just a common man working hard with his hands. You don't know. You just don't know. Nope. And uh because Jordana Brewster conventionally attractive. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Uh, and through the course of the movie, they have an affair. Pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. Almost immediately. Yeah. 
Which also is she throws herself at him like he. Yeah. He and Catherine Heigl have a fight. He sleeps in the office, is half awake and like basically awakes to Dusty in the otherwise closed uh, furniture and rug store that the champagnes run. And she makes moves on him to put it delicately, because I know this is and a it's classy not even show. scheduled and it's not. It is the opposite of scheduled. It's unscheduled. It spontaneous. Yep. And it's in the store, which was that was like the thing that he wanted. You can't. Yeah. He wanted the hand job in the store. And yeah. then he got a whole lot more than that from Jordana Brewster. Yep. And so then, yeah, they have, I would say, a brief but torrid affair. Yes. And then um, she says uh, that she's pregnant because he uh, popped his proverbial champagne in her. Yep. And that's uh, that that happens sometimes. And then that's how you get pregnant. Yeah, in case you didn't know, that is what happens. That's how mm-hmm. people end you up pour, pregnant. You pour champagne on someone and then they get pregnant. Exactly. That's what's happening in all of those rap videos. Yeah, that they're all. That's why rappers have so many kids. <laughs> I'm, th- that math checks out, and you can't tell me it doesn't. I mean, yep, yep. Just moving on. <laughs> yeah, just gonna gonna keep going. Yeah. Um, and then uh, so. He's obviously wondering what he should do. Should he pay her to. She wants to keep the baby. She's like, you don't have to be a part of it. He offers to pay her. And then it finds out that he is maybe the victim of an extortion scandal. A a sort of circuitous extortion scandal. I mean, it's it's an interesting plan. Yeah. And it's like this is one of my major issues with the movie is. That like. It almost seemed like uh, Jordana Brewster and her method boyfriend were like, oh, wait, you were banging him and now you could extort money from him. Cool. Let's do that. Well, but yeah, it's I think like, there, it, there's a problem with the fact that this her boyfriend character is is very underdeveloped and hard to track his motives because he's introduced. Well, I mean, first he's introduced to just watching Don Champagne from a distance. But then the next time we see him, he's in a a crappy motel with what appears to be the corpse of, I would guess, a different businessman who's shirtless, who. So, like, that's what I was trying to figure out is, like, are we supposed to assume that this is like a thing that they do and that she's done this before? Or, yeah, is it just a real like crime of opportunity that they they had her start working there to find an in because he clearly was watching the champagne's commercials and decided this guy had money and for whatever reason decided he would be a good target but yeah we don't know if this is a standard plan if this is jordana brewster realizing that this is a guy who's in an unhappy marriage who um you know, has scheduled sex and is super weird and sad and depressed. And as Patrick Wilson will be the first to tell you, would be even happy to slide it between the butt cheeks. So. Right. Yeah. And it's just like, and you don't really know how Jordana Brewster feels about her method boyfriend or Patrick Wilson or any of this. Right. You because don't know if she's like, she's in seen- it for the money. If she's in it, there's like hints that she might actually sort of have some sort of feelings for Patrick Wilson. But there's also that she's just in it for the money. And it's just it's it's really 
really unfocused. She should have maybe had a dream journal is what I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because it it's trying to portray this as like a, a swerve, you know, sort of out of left field. And so up until the point that we find out about this plan, she play she is presented as 100 percent sincere that she seems to really like Patrick Wilson, that she enjoys the relationship that they're having and all of this. And and it also just like, I don't know, the, the plan doesn't make a lot of sense to me, too, because it's well, if you're going to extort the guy, sure. But like, why aren't they getting photos of the two of them together? There's not like a ton of incriminating evidence that you think. You, like, right, like she, why isn't she saving the security camp tapes? Because they're banging all over the store. Right, like that would have made more sense of like she has all this evidence that you know of their affair. Like he could just deny it. Yeah, and Mona cares so little for her husband that she would probably believe it. Well, it doesn't even seem like when Mona finds out that she. She doesn't seem to care that he's having an affair. She cares about their public image, how it would affect their business and how it would affect the things that she wants. She wants to have the veneer of a perfect family. And so she seems way more concerned with the idea that uh, Dusty is pregnant and that right. the, the scandal would destroy them. And this may be getting a little bit ahead of myself. Um Catherine Heigl's character is unbelievably one dimensional, but I think it was the right choice. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts on her character, but yeah, I would agree with that at this point, just to say that. Yeah. I mean, she's she's cartoon villain territory, but I don't mean that as a negative. No, I, th I think that like because you heightened it to such absurd degrees, it's totally OK that that was her whole deal. Yeah. I think it's the right move like you're yeah. because, yeah, a more nuanced version of her would be a diminishing returns version of her. <laughs> right. And like. This movie in general, I think, is afraid to go as far as it needs to, with the exception of Catherine Heigl's character. Yeah, which maybe that's a good because we've sort of set it up enough. Uh, and yeah, I think that that's maybe the point to talk about now is you had said that to me before we started and I had the exact same thought as well watching it is I think this movie should have gone harder. Yeah. It, like it is, a, it is a, it is a black comedy. It is a dark comedy, um, but it should have been so much darker. Yeah. And it's funny because I mean, this is what rang in my head and I, I, there's personal reasons for that. But like to me, when I was watching it, the vibes that I got were of little shop of horrors, which is what I, one of the things that I love, it happens to be a, uh, the first play that I ever did in high school, we did a musical version of it. I played Skip Snip. But uh, but because of that, I always really liked that play. And um, I, you know, like the actual like the Rick Moranis version, even though the ending's dumb on that bitch, you can find it with your. But anyway, that to me is the template of what I wanted to see is more of Patrick Wilson is sort of this sad, you know, dusty champagne, or dusty champagne. Uh uh, what's his first name? Why am I uh, combining Don. Don Champagne? Um, that he he's sort of like Seymour in that there's something that he wants, and essentially that Catherine Heigl then would be Audrey too. <laughs> that she's the the plant, and that or like maybe a better reference is Lady Macbeth. You know that that he's the reluctant person, kind of drug along the accomplice, but that yeah. 
it starts with killing Dusty and then it's just continued. They have to kill more people and it starts to get out of control and because I, there was a good idea at the end where she kills the neighbor's dog and it's in the freezer and all of that. But that kind of almost felt unearned as one dimensional as she was because she seemed very controlled and it didn't feel like it had the right kind of heightening to get to that point. Right. And like or nor did it seem like. She had the realization that murder was way easier than she thought, which would have been good, too. Yeah, that she's I think if you presented that, that she turns out to be really good at murder and that it's like, well, yeah, well, there's a lot of people I'd like to murder if we're just yeah. murdering people now. Right. And if we're just murdering people that might get in our way. Yeah. Like that, maybe that's the path, because I think a movie that is not without its flaws, but I think is the right amount of dark and what this movie should have aimed for is very bad things. Yeah. With uh, John Favreau and Christian Slater and uh, Cameron Diaz, as I believe the the wife in that. And um, yeah, the, and it's like that's the that movie was super dark. Right. And I, and I think that that it, all these things that we're mentioning kind of have the same playbook, which is like it's sort of like the frog in boiling water that it starts with one bad decision and then all of these other decisions. And it's just a spiral. Yeah, should spiral. And there wasn't enough spiraling. Uh, we haven't talked much. We haven't talked at all about uh, Chai McBride, who's shown up on this podcast before and is a frequent silver lining himself. Because he's the best. Because he is the best. Uh, but he plays a Criminally cop. Criminally underused in this movie. <laughs> but that's what I was going to say. He plays a cop that's on the case. That should have been dialed way up of him poking around and getting like at the she truth. should have murdered him, probably. Right. Yeah. Like that feels like the right move is that more people. I think there should have been more murders. It should have been way more heightened. It just needed to get way more out of control. Honestly, Belushi probably should have died. Just Always a good choice. <laughs> but also just like. That that somehow she finds out that, that he she knows. finds out that he knew about Dusty like that's. You I know, that, like, because really the only people that get murdered are Jordana Brewster, or Dusty, um, Kevin McKidd, who is the friend of uh, Dusty's method boyfriend and his girlfriend, I guess. Uh, topless lady friend. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, we all have a topless lady friend. Like, it's a standard. It's a standard trope. I mean, tell us all this time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh yeah, I think that, yeah, those are the only real, there's not a high body And then count. Catherine Heigl gets killed. Yes. And the, the dog. End. And the dog. And then it's, it's heavily implied that uh, the method boyfriend kills Don Champagne at the end. I mean, that seems, yeah, that, I guess we should mention that as well, because I almost missed this, by the way, which is that the, um, so you, we see Don Champagne and his kids in the minivan driving off, and then we see the, the boyfriend on his motorcycle, following them. And then it's over the credits. We hear a gunshot. What sounds like the van crashing and the kids screaming. So like, yeah, I guess that's an implication that Patrick Wilson died, but it's off screen. And if that's not a nutshell of this movie being unwilling to go as far as it should have. Yeah, it didn't even show it. Yeah. And it's not like it was a, you know, last minute decision or anything, because we they show the the guy following them. So clearly they, they had an idea where it was headed, but yeah, they, they and I, I think the movie in general can't commit to how it feels about Don Champagne, because I think 
it's somewhat sympathetic towards him, but maybe a little too easy on him. He gets too much of a pass because he is 100% complicit. Because, I mean, he tries uh, and fails to murder Jordana Brewster by poisoning her. Right, which I think is a mistake, too, in terms of, well, you got to commit it one way or the other. But, like, maybe if he tried and failed and Catherine Heigl knew that he was going to fail and she's actually there to do it, which they sort of do with the hammer, but maybe more and more that he, I don't know, he needed to either be more spineless or more evil. But again, it feels like another instance where the movie couldn't really decide what to do. Yeah, and it's, it, um, it's just in general can't commit because then like the movie starts to spiral where they're like, all right, well, they know that Dusty's been murdered. We've got to put her cut up body in the freezer of her meth head boyfriend to get ourselves off the case. That seems like a logical first tightening move. Yeah. And then in so doing, she murders uh, Kevin McKidd, uh, who dials up the Scottish to wonderful degrees. Yeah. Uh, and his uh, topless lady friend. By the way, can I have one second? Because this isn't like a silver lining. I, I think it's just a thing. But I wanted this noted, and this seems like the right time, that you know, you and I often go use IMDb uh, as a reference for things about the movie. And I just wanted to share this from IMDb, and I'll tell you why in one second. But uh, one of the, the trivia things for this is Scottish actor Kevin McKidd sports a kilt in the movie. There is no McKidd tartan. The kilt he wears is a Hash House Harriers trail tartan, which, okay, interesting enough. But I like this because for some reason it is tagged warning spoilers. That's for awesome. what? <laughs> it's like, you see that movie, you see a Scottish character talking like this the whole time. And then I, like, I wonder if he's going to wear a kilt. He's so Scottish. I bet he wears a kilt. But I don't want to know until yeah. he wears the kilt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's nothing spoilery about that. So I just found that very funny. Yeah. And it does like it, the and the that post doesn't say that he's murdered in said kilt or anything. No, no, there's nothing. It just is a thing about him and his kilt, which is yes. yeah, just a description of a character. But anyway, yeah, spoiler warning on that. Sorry, guys. And he's another character in that he's in the movie. And that's like he's underdeveloped and one dimensional in a way that's detrimental, I think, to the plot. I think until he was murdered, there was a good chance I wouldn't have remembered that he was in this movie. He hadn't been any like he hadn't really done anything. That's the problem is that you have the boyfriend of Jordana Brewster who's memorable enough, but then well, he, has he has two a distinct friends. look with the head tattoos and the just being a scumbag like. But he has two friends who are sort of just there and are given no real distinct character traits well and especially because kevin mckidd is arguably the third or fourth biggest name in this cast oh yeah yeah i mean he had a he I'd might still fourth. be on Grey's anatomy i don't know <laughs> but yeah i'd say fourth after patrick wilson katherine heigl and jordana brewster probably maybe belushi might be ahead but debatable well name recognition yeah yeah um but yeah and it's just it's just weird. And this movie just really half-asses everything. Well, and I feel like it leaves a lot on the table. And I think one of the clearest examples of that is there's a lot of references to the idea that their money comes from Katherine Heigl's parents, that 
they funded the business. They've paid for part of the house. They're paying for the kids' school. There's a lot of talk throughout the movie of her parents, which made me think that her parents would factor some way into the plot, and they don't. No, never once. And just, like, I get that they're kind of making the point that, like, this is, they are, like, essentially living in a paper mache house in that they don't have a lot of actual money. Like, that is possible. But I find it really hard to believe that people running, by all accounts, a successful furniture store would be unable to get 25 grand together. Well, also, I mean, he could probably embezzle it from the furniture store. Like, the furniture store probably has that much money at at the very least yeah or get a loan from them it seems like the business is doing well right that there's i feel like that the the amount of money should have been higher to make that more plausible yeah like there should have been at least another zero it should have been two two hundred and fifty thousand. maybe that's hard a little harder to come by but by all accounts i mean these people are millionaires yeah, I mean, they're yeah, they're running this successful business. They live in a big house. Their their dreams are of opening a second location. Like, yeah, they're they they've got money. That their they kids go to private school. Squarely in the one percent. Yeah. And yeah, just and like the movie doesn't try to make any like class struggle comments, which I think is an avenue it could have gone down. And there's just again, it's just something else that's left on the table. Well, yeah, and I think. I think that's the thing is a lot of characters needed more development, not Catherine Heigl's character, who I think we said was, was kind of perfect the way she is. But yeah, Dusty could have used some more development like the the boyfriend. Like just to know what her motivation was, the boyfriend. Yeah. Like and just their relationship, I think, was too ambiguous. Well, because they don't feel like based on what we see, it doesn't really seem like they're a couple. Like I don't actually I can't picture the two of them dating. Yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't. And like that trope of someone who's in a relationship scamming someone else like that's that is well-worn territory. Yeah. Um, And it's just it. It doesn't feel like they cared about each other at all. Well, he doesn't even like it's unclear what his actual emotional reaction to the fact that she's having sex with Don Champagne like he. He says something about they should get more money because it happened, but he doesn't. It's unclear if he cares that it's happening. Like, right. uh, it's, and presumably like, is, it was his plan. I don't know. Right. Is he upset about it? Is he into it? Like he could have just kind of been this weird sort of cuckold thing could have been an aspect of it that he just really gets off on the idea of his girlfriend banging other dudes and then extorting them for money. Like that could have been his kink. And that seems like a logical character choice. Or, yeah, maybe he wasn't comfortable with it. And then you kind of have a moment where he's like, uh, well, this is what's going to happen, Don. You actually have to let me have sex with your wife. That's the only way. And then that's a great thing for Catherine Heigl to murder him. Right. Because, again, more people should have been murdered in this movie. Yeah, 100%. This movie should have had minimum 10 person body count. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot more scenes of... Catherine Heigl dismembering bodies and like disposing of them with efficiency. Right. Like it like she should have been full on suburban psycho, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's like kind of what she was. But again, like I think I mean, I think we're getting close to the point where we could pivot. Um, but I think that like the choice to make her so singularly focused and essentially one dimensional 
again, was good. And I thought Catherine Heigl did a good job at it. Yeah, I think we can probably pivot. But I just one thing I want to say before we pivot. I don't think this movie understands what OCD is or why it's referencing it. Just want to also throw that in. Yeah, that's a valid point. Like many movies in Hollywood, they do not understand. They think that OCD is an adjective when it's not. It is a sometimes crippling mental disorder. Yeah. And they also think that it somehow they seem to imply that that would explain her character, which it doesn't. And I don't think her character needed it. I don't think it added anything. And I don't think it made sense the way it was presented. Because, I mean. Really, if anything, I mean, these terms are are wildly outdated, but like she's exhibiting anal retentive tendencies. She's also, uh, I don't know, exhibiting like uh, a, she's like also she a, psych- a sociopath or a psychopath. sociopath or psychopath. Yeah, she doesn't seem to have any emotional reaction to murdering people. So, right. And that's not what OCD is. As far as I know, no. Uh, I, I know for a fact that that's not what no, OCD I, is. Yeah, I know. I'm being glib. But yes, it's very much not what OCD is. Joel, if there's one thing I will not tolerate on this podcast, it's glibness. I'm sorry. We, we aim to be sincere. And yes, that's my apology. Sincere and genuine and focused. If there's three things that you can count on from this podcast, it's laser focus and utter sincerity. And if there's one thing you can count on from Patrick Wilson's cameo, it's that he'll say slide it between your butt cheeks. Yes. Yeah. And if he doesn't, then Joel will pay you $1 million. I will not. That's a lie. <laughs> but I do think he'll refund your uh, $900 that you're yes. paying. Very possibly. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the next time you fire it up for uh, Yom Kippur, when you want that personalized message. Um, when you want to say it, it's like, ah, you know, good luck with your fast. And uh, I have a little treat when you're done. I'll slide it between your butt cheeks. <laughs> Shana Tova. <laughs> In the full Watchmen outfit. Yes. Oh, of course he's dressed like full on Night Owl. I mean, that goes without saying. Yeah. And he blows the shofar, too. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. He really goes the extra mile for those Yom Kippur cameos. Yes. Yeah. But I think it's time to pivot. Yeah, it's time to pivot. Um, Like, this movie does have a good cast. Yeah. And I, I want to say, because I think we can break it down a little bit more than that, too, of... I think the best, smartest thing this movie did was cast Katherine Heigl because Katherine Heigl is perfect for this role. And I also even feel like it's almost kind of playing into... 100%. No, I agree. I agree totally with this. Yeah, like the perception of her now because there's there were some stories about like her, you know, on Grey's Anatomy maybe being, you know, she... I think she said something about the writers not writing great material. Or so. so there's been like some stuff about her... That I think having her play this character sort of almost feels like a wink to her real life. Yeah. Deserved or not that she had developed or or got labeled as having a bit of a stick up her butt. Yeah. Of just maybe being difficult to work with. So, uh, yeah. That that was a rumor with... uh, um, Knocked up as well. Knocked up was another one where it just feels like that they were just on slightly different pages. And her criticisms aren't wrong of i mean i love knocked up i i think it's a delightful comedy i find it really enjoyable look i, I think we do all have to acknowledge that no judd apatel comedy has aged well as much as we all might enjoy them like they they have like they they already feel like a relic of a different time and they didn't 100%. come out that long ago still enjoy them but 100%. oh yeah percent yeah i say that as a fan of judd apatel but yeah his comedies do not age well <laughs> I say that as a fan of Knocked Up and 40-Year-Old Virgin and nothing else. 
Funny People was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Um, but yeah, it's, I think, and I think that she, like, she plays it right, too. Like, she is, like, unblinking, just cold, emotionless in, like, all the right, I think she makes a lot of really good moves in this, and, like, gives such a performance that I wish it was in a better movie. Yeah. And I think that, um, I think also, uh, Patrick Wilson is excellent at playing like a milk toast schmuck. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, and no, I like like I was saying. I think I think that Patrick Wilson isn't is absolutely excellent at playing a milk toast schmuck, and was also a good choice for the role that he played. Yeah, I, again, I wish they had dialed in on his character a little bit more, but the work that he's doing is great. No, well, the, he did as much as you could with what he was given. Um, like, I think if he had a little more focus or a little bit of a stronger character want, then um, it would have been even better. But like, if you just take each scene independently, like he delivers the goods in all of them. Yes. Yeah. I also, Jordana Brewster, who we've, we've done a number of Fast and Furious uh, films on this i i like i felt like this was a different gear for her and i was here for it like i really liked the way that she played this character i thought she was really good in it again could have used a little bit more character development but like i also feel like the fast and furious films kind of waste her a bit too and this movie made me go like i want to see more of her and i want her to be given more to do because yeah i i thought she played this character really no, this well was yeah, I think this is the most interested I've been in a, in her character in a movie that I've seen her in. Because, like, I, yeah, she's underused in the Fast and Furious movies. I think that she was uh, the worst part of The Faculty, which is a horror movie I really love. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I think but I think I really liked her in this and I wanted to see more of what she was capable of. Yeah. And have like and just another character that just needed stronger characterization. And more of a direction. Well, again, just then, a little bit clearer on why she's doing this and how she feels about Patrick Wilson, I think would have cleared it up. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, Kevin McKidd, we already talked about. I thought that he was too Scottish for his own good was hilarious. Spoilers. Oh, yeah. Spoiler. Sorry. Spoiler warning. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. Was, uh, just like he was unintelligibly Scottish and like which I think was a really good choice. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was really funny. Uh, but yeah, it just, yeah, this movie just, I wanted, it, it was so close. Yeah. Well, I also, I mean, again, we talked about Heigl herself, but as a shout out to the movie, I think the best filmmaking that it did was when she was either murdering someone or uh, disposing of a corpse. Like that, that scene where she stabs both him and his topless lady friend uh was great the way that she how rigid she is in that scene like how fluidly she stabs uh him just the way that she then she you know stabs the woman with a sword which is right. fantastic but like all of that is great it's Chekhov's uh, katana you know yeah yeah uh but then i i, I really did like this scene where first of all yeah when she 
hits Jordana Brewster, Dusty, in the head with a hammer. But then when we get the garage table saw disposing of the corpse, it's easily the most disturbing scene in the movie and what the movie should have been aiming more for throughout. But like she's got her plastic like raincoat on to to cover up the blood and she is there's blood spraying on the walls and she is just hacking limbs and and cutting up still has her pearls and is like the perfect suburban wife she looks somehow both disaffected and super like composed you know like just watching her well and i think another good choice and this is probably a product of budget because i'm i have to assume actor salary ate up 90 percent of the budget for this film because i mean there's some big name performers is that like this movie is really light on gore and they make this choice to like close up on Katherine Heigl's utterly stoic face. And it's just such the right choice. Yeah. Well, it's also very clear because they do that, I think, right before uh, it, there, there's about to make contact with the table saw and the body. And I'm sure that was also related to not having the budget to actually. Oh, yeah. No, 100 percent. But it's one of those things where it was a blessing in disguise, because I think if they'd went for the gore, I think with how half assed this movie was and in, in going in, in the dark directions it should have. I uh, would have made it even more stark. Yeah. But yeah, um, all of that. Chai McBride, look, criminally underused, but I'm never going to be mad that he's on my my screen. No, he is. Just. Man, does he have presence? He really does. Like, that's the thing is he's probably only in what, two scenes in this movie, maybe three, but maybe three. Yeah, but he is memorable. Like, he just takes, like, he, he, like, embodies the space that he's in and is, yeah, just, like, the dude has presence, whether he's playing a menacing character, whether he's playing a caring character, like, whatever he does, um, he's just great. And, like, I would, I would love him to get his due in a role that could, like, really let everybody know what they've been missing all these years, because I feel like he doesn't have that that role he was great in pushing daisies though which more people should have watched that show was great But that's what i'm saying right yeah. like he's great in that he's you know he's value added in literally everything he's in but he needs his like delroy lindo into five bloods type role to like be like oh oh damn okay no this guy is the real deal yeah you which know, we're like, working on yeah right now it might be in catching cage you know who knows we'll find a role for him in that i think though I think he deserves a a Chai McBride vehicle. Yeah. Where it's just him. We follow him the whole time. Uh, I I don't have a pitch yet, but I will. No, but, I, you know, I mean. But yeah, he's I, he is one of my favorite actors. Like, I think he's just so good at, you know, and he never. He's like the embodiment of there's no small roles, only small actors. And here's the thing, too. I don't have a pitch yet for the movie, but I do know that it's called Chai Town. Yeah. That's what I promise you. Yeah, it's called Chai Town. That, that, yeah. Why not? Yeah. And then the sequel's called Too Shy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and there's definitely, there's like a lot of shots of him staring out windows, just looking imposing. Honestly, you know what? I almost I could see him playing like a Wilson Fisk 
sort of, uh, you know, powerful businessman who believes he's doing this for the betterment of the city. But, you know, he he's maybe going is to, a little nefarious. But yeah, does it in sort of an underhanded way. Honestly, I think he would just be a good Wilson Fisk. Honestly. He would be a great kingpin. No, as great as Vincent D'Onofrio is doing, um, I think that <laughs> that Shy McBride would be an excellent kingpin wilson fist but i think in my heart when i'm visualizing chai town which i'm now doing which means i would call this pre-production for yeah <laughs> uh we're gonna get him on board and we're gonna make this but uh yeah i i think he's in an office he's in a penthouse office with a view of the city uh which Just is floor to ceiling windows yeah which is obviously chicago uh, yeah uh, and i mean <laughs> and he's he's dressed impeccably he's got a cigar and he's sort of staring out and saying things like, this is my city. And obviously, and I think this goes without saying, the rival boss who's trying to move in on his territory is played by Kelsey Grammer. It's, he's the rumble. Yeah. As, yes, it is. this. Okay, so it, it takes place in the money plane universe. Yes. But we never talk about money plane. Never once. Adam Copeland's not in it. There's no nope. reference to a money plane. But the Lawrence it, brothers are for some reason. But as different characters, completely different characters as yeah. the Lawrence brothers, they just play themselves in a cameo. They're the Lawrence brothers. But yeah, uh, obviously, Darius Grouch, a.k.a. the Rumble is he's Darius moving Emmanuel into, Grouch. <laughs> yes. He's moving into Chicago and trying to take over Chi Town. And, uh, you know, that's that's where the conflict happens. Right. And so so in, in this, I think that he's he's an anti-hero because we're still rooting for him. We want him to win. And, and Timothy Oliphant's in it. Yeah. Timothy Oliphant and, is, is in it as uh, obviously the only thing that he should ever play a wild card. Yes. That, you know, he might be on the side of law enforcement. Maybe he's not on the side of law enforcement. Who well, knows? I could see it that like so Darius Grouch hires Timothy Oliphant's character to take out uh, Chai. But then what happens is he just goes straight to him and says like, hey. This is what he's offering me to take you out. So what's your counter offer? And he's like, he has his feet up on his desk and he's wearing a cowboy hat, obviously, if that of wasn't course. clear. Yeah. But he's just like sitting in his office and he's like sniffing one of his cigars, not lighting it, just like holding it under his nose, sniffing it. Yeah. And and so he's like, what's your counter offer? And so we don't know where he's going to land on this. Right. And I mean, you know, we know, but like the audience, the audience, we doesn't know where he's going to land on this. Yeah. Spoiler. It involves a uh, dynamite strapped to his chest at the end. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so. Uh, that's our treatment. So uh, holler at your boys. Also, Catherine Heigl, if you're listening, we got a part for you. Yeah, yeah we could be. And I, I would love to put Catherine Heigl in a part. I think she, she is delightful. Yeah. Also. Because again, we're all as always laser focused. Uh, her husband did a lot of music for this movie, and I like yeah. the music. I like that song that played when she was blown up. Yes. No. The the this movie is like like I said, like it's just to get back on track as we as we start to wrap up here. Like it's so close, but misses wildly. Yeah, it's close enough to to you can see what they're going for, but ultimately, unfortunately, feels forgettable, which is a shame. But yeah, like it, I think Home Sweet Hell is a better title than North of Hell, which was the original title. Yeah, because North of Hell is nothing. Right. South of Heaven's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And but Home Sweet Hell, like, makes more sense as a title for this movie. And I'm glad they switched it. 
It does. I'm surprised that the title didn't have champagne in it in some way. Yeah, I, I think I think they hit the champagne note enough, though, in the movie that to put make it part of the title. Like if they're going to make like some sort of champagne wishes and caviar dreams pun, I think that would have been a bad move. Yeah, fair enough. But look, so ultimately, so we definitely did it. First of all, oh, yeah. I want to be clear on that. For sure. Uh, still undefeated. Still undefeated. Second still of all, undefeated. Uh, yeah, I think the takeaway is this movie may be a little forgettable, unfortunately, but you can always remember it if you want to by going on Cameo, searching for Patrick Wilson and getting a famous tagline, uh, which obviously, Andy, if you want to tell the people which you, what, what they can expect. Uh, I, I can just slide it between your butt cheeks. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. This is Philip And Katie. And Bridget. And we're three friends who like movies. Especially movies of yore when we were small and everything seemed awesome. Now we're revisiting these bright shining beacons of our youth and figuring out if they are for real. So sit back and relax and revisit the best. The worst. And everything in between from the 80s and 90s. And find out. Is is it? it?